Warning, Weird West Radio contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Radio on Rain Man Digital, where we discuss all things weird and Western related. You can find our shows at iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. Just simply search Weird West Radio. Be sure to leave us reviews, give us thumbs up, as it does help us pop up more on the feeds with those algorithms. I am Michael Flores, your host, and in the studio today with me to discuss some Westerns or a Western. Is Brian Smith. Hello, Brian. Hello, Michael. And David. Hello. Hey, everyone. All right. If you'd missed our last discussion, I did explain that Clint Felton, my regular co-host, is out of commission for a while. It may be forever. It may be just temporary. Who knows? All right. So today we're going to discuss, review, break down Showtime's latest foray into the Western the Good Lord Bird. Now, The Good Lord Bird is a 2020 American drama miniseries based on the 2013 novel of the same name by James McBride. The series was created and executive produced by Ethan Hawke, the star, and Mark Richard. Produced by James Blum, yes, of Blumhouse Television, and it premiered just a few weeks ago, October 4th of this year on Showtime. The series is told from the point of view of Henry Shackelford, a fictional enslaved boy who is part of the John Brown's motley crew of abolitionists, soldiers during the time of bleeding Kansas, eventually participating in the famous 1859 raid on the Army Depot at Harper's Ferry, West Virginia. Brown's raid failed to initiate the slave revolt he intended, but was the instigating event. So says all the history books that started the American Civil War. Let's just start out by saying Jesus, God, Ethan Hawke. My God. Yeah. The dude yeah. just continues to get better with every project he does. I was, was completely blown away by his performance. Do you know what's crazy about Ethan Hawke, Mike? What? He's 50 years old. Yeah. Is he really? He uh, actually November sixth. He will be fifty years old. Wow! When I hear things like that, I, it just makes me feel old, doesn't it? Because I've been following this guy's career for so long, and it's amazing how underrated he is. And the people who have listened to Weird West Radio for some time now will know that I am a big Ethan Hawke fan. Clint and I have covered pretty much everything Ethan Hawke has done when he has moved into the Western genre. Well, I mean, he he was in the Western genre from almost the beginning, though, with White Fang and uh, what? Uh, White Fang 2. <laughs> White Fang 3. No, but I mean, like he did. He did what? Both of those. And then I thought there was another one back in the day. He's just very good. He's underrated with this recent 
I don't know, drive, need, desire for him as an actor to move into the Western genre, like back to back projects has really solidified my fan status. Hawk is grossly underrated. The guy is crazy talented and his continued growth as an actor is fascinating. And it seems like every film he's in, he attempts to do something a little different with the performance. And that's the key evolving as an actor many times you get actors who get those successful films uh, and someone will say man that's a great performance and the actor tends to start turning himself into a character actor and he continues to play those very specific types of roles but with Ethan Hawke even though he has moved into the western genre recently with back-to-back film projects he is doing every project a little differently which is not usually the norm when you're dealing with Western actors. And I would definitely qualify Ethan Hawke as a Western actor at this point. Uh, he was recently in A Valley of Violence, The Magnificent Seven Remake, The Kid, where you play Sheriff Pat Garrett, and now, so of course, The Good Lord Bird. And every performance in each of those films that have all come out within the last four years are completely different. Absolutely different. Take it, if you take a look at each character, there's something that Ethan Hawke brings to every single character that he does that just, you think there's th- that he's just a one, he would be like a one strum actor type yeah. thing. But then all of a sudden you get to like, I think good, good Lord bird is pretty close to his masterpiece. I would when it comes probably to acting. agree. Man, I don't know. He was really good as Starbuck and Moby Dick. I don't even remember that movie. <laughs> it was a TV miniseries back in 2000. Such an asshole, dude. But, uh, no, oh, I mean, he like, was no, really good in Gattaca. Well, he was really good in Gattaca, oh, so fuck you. I know, but I'm trying to bring up a very obscure movie from years ago that most people probably don't remember. <laughs> well, why don't you go with, like, Lord of War then, where he wasn't even the star of it? He was But you know brother. what? He was really good he in that. He was really good in it. He was really look, good look, in look that at, movie. Look at, like, one of the movies you brought up, Magnificent Seven. Oh, it doesn't matter what he movie. He absolutely stole that movie. Well, here's the train. Training day. Training day. He got Training robbed. Day. Come on, man. He Tra- got robbed. He should have been nominated for Oscar as well. Assault on Precinct 13. Amazing. That was a shitty John Carpenter remake, but his performance, it was the silver lining. The Newton Boys. Come Fucking on. great. Right? Before Sunshine, before, uh, what was it? Before Midnight, that whole series. Mm-hmm. Um, that was all fantastic. I mean, I could literally just go through and name any Taking Lives. Even yeah. Taking Lives was fucking good. Yeah. Um, before the Devil Knows You're Dead. Right. Brooklyn's finest daybreakers, which is one of the few vampire movies I don't hate. Um, what uh, total recall in the director's cut. He got to play Carl Hauser. I don't oh, remember. Yeah, that's that. right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he was in the purge, the original purge, the original purge, which was actually really well Good. put together. Right. Yeah. Um, and that kind of solidified his relationship with Blumhouse, because absolutely. since then, yeah. Blumhouse is like, you're my man. Yeah. I'm going to put you in shit. Absolutely. And I mean, that's great for, for Ethan Hawke, though, too. Yeah. Because I think it's one of those things where, like, Ethan Hawke's career is weird. Very, it is. Very, it's very strange. Like, because yeah. you look at stuff like Regression, Born to be Blue, Maggie's Plan. Like, what the fuck are those? And then there's, like, In a Valley of Violence. And then The Phenom. Then Maudie. Then he does Magnificent Seven. Then he does Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets, which was supposed to be great and wasn't. It wasn't. Then, you know, 24 Hours to Live, which I don't know if you guys have seen that one. I have not, not yet. Oh, dude, you should watch 24 Hours to Live. And it goes into like what you said earlier, Mike. He arguably is one of the most or, yeah, probably the most underrated actor. I think from his generation. From his generation. From from that, that, the guys that were in like, what was it, Dead Poet Society? That was his... That was his that breakout, was his breakout. Role, right? When he was like 18 years old, he did de- or 17 years old. He played Todd Anderson on Dead Poet Society. I'm and trying to he, think of like what actors you would consider him in his generation. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm thinking Johnny Depp, thinking Tom yeah. Cruise, Charlie Tom Cruise, Sheen, Charlie Emilio Estevez. Sure. I throw all of them in there. Yeah, I mean, you look at yeah. Ethan Hawke, I'm like going, he is so underrated. Yeah, the actors around him are iconic, but it's amazing to me that basically he has not received that much acclaim even when he approaches every single project that he does well i feel like so differently right because i mean you're looking at like if you look at guys you'd look at like christian bale what i'd be i would say is probably the closest comparison yeah 
right? I would yeah. definitely agree with that. I think I think where should... he takes every role mm-hmm. and changes it, and he's very meticulous what roles he takes and what he's going to do differently right. in each performance. Yeah, for sure. Right. I would agree. That's what I'm saying. I think Christian Bale is probably your closest comparison, right? Yeah. And Christian Bale, of course, is a household name. Yeah. And Ethan Hawke, while everyone knows who Ethan Hawke is, like, let's not be confused here. Like, everyone's a household name. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Everybody knows who Ethan Hawke is. Yeah. But aside from Training Day, can they name a single fucking movie he's been in? Exactly. Right? And then you look at Bale, and like, oh, he was Batman. Or, oh, he did The Machinist. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, which is, for those obscure people that love movies like I do, The Machinist is fucking amazing. Yeah. But I feel like Ethan Hawke could have played that role. I think Ethan Hawke can do a lot of the roles that you see these other actors oh, playing. Oh, easily. So, easily. like, I think, I think, um. I would say Hugh Jackman, I think, is another one that would be a contemporary for Ethan Hawke because they're all about the same age, which is crazy because I think most people would assume that Ethan Hawke is younger than all of those guys. But he's not. Look, all those names you brought up are fantastic talents, but I would say Ethan Hawke's range is even better than theirs. Absolutely. I agree. I agree. Especially after seeing this movie and his performance as John Brown. Right. There were moments where I didn't even recognize him. No, I mean, he he literally remakes himself throughout the show, which is crazy because there's moments where you're like, oh, yeah, there's Ethan Hawke. And then there's other moments where you're like, who the fuck is this maniac? It's almost like he's he's like it's almost like a Daniel Day Lewis esque performance. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not, and it's not just in the way he emotes, which is very important. Right, but it's also in the way he works his voice. Well, it's a transformation that he makes during a scene. Yeah, that reminds me of Daniel Day Lewis because you know Daniel Day Lewis is one of those guys that he goes so character mm-hmm. that you know he'll fucking stab himself in the throat if that's what it calls for. Yeah, right. And I, I think that that's one of those things that most actors you don't see like Bale is is like that that's the genre or or that's the type of actor that I think Ethan Hawke is where he becomes the character and I think that um he commits yeah he He commits a hundred percent a hundred percent like I could imagine him being John Brown while the camera's off at two o'clock in the in the morning sitting in his his fucking trailer drunk as shit screaming at the television that's not on like the the difference (laughs) uh, the the one of the gifts that I think after watching this what Ethan Hawke has that no one really talks about is he has this ability of making the cast around him look better. Yeah, for sure. Which is, which is a talent that basically gets so overlooked because you get like those, uh, Bales and Tom Cruise and Johnny Depp and people don't talk about them as saying they make their other cast members look better. Well, Ethan think- Hawke made his cast in this one look like an all-star cast. And I'll tell you why. Because even though I'm a Johnny Depp fan and I love Tom Cruise, there's a difference in the way they perform. And people may not pick up on it, but when they perform, it's about them. Correct. And they want that camera on them. It's about them. What are you going to do for me? How am I going to look good? When you have a performer like a Daniel Day-Lewis or an Ethan Hawke, Mm -hmm. they're about the picture. Correct. They're like, how am I going to make everything else look better so what it reminds me of is a lot of those b-movie actors where you know they're not doing it for money because they're not making shit but they're doing it for the love of the art yeah and they for every performance they try to bring 100 percent. yeah and and it's about the project not that anybody else not that johnny depp phones it in and plays captain jack in every fucking thing but that's fine um i'm just saying like I but think, there's a difference. Yes. And you can feel it. Even right. if you don't know you're feeling it, you do. You absolutely well, you, do. Well, I think you a lot, see a lot it of times, also with how his interaction with uh, Joshua Caleb Johnson. Yeah. I mean, the, the kid, even, the kid, the acting opposite the kid, the kid looks good. Correct. And, and if anybody in filmmaking that, you know, like us knows, working with children it sucks. And kids, ass, it sucks. It sucks. Yeah. Ethan Hawke made this kid look well, cool. I, well, I think also too, though, um, you know, what you're looking at, I think a lot of times is that if you, if you watch an Ethan Hawke performance, you can tell that he is actually listening and hearing the actors around him. Whereas, you know, you talk about because this, he's in it. Right. But you yeah. talk about some of those other guys, like Mike said, that are there for themselves. They're just waiting for their turn to say their line. Yeah. And that's the, the and yeah, they might give a hundred percent fantastic performance yeah. for their lines, but they're not actually part of the scene. Yeah. Right? They're above the scene, they're is above what it feels scene. like. And I think that that's something that, that Ethan Hawke does so differently than the rest of his peers, is that he is present. 
He is 100% present in the scene. He is that character. The people around him are their characters in his mind, and you can feel it, you like Dave said. It. They and, all feed off of his skill level. Absolutely. And, yeah. and so it, it elevates the entire cast. It's the same thing. It's like watching Training Day, you know, to, to bring it way back. You look at the scenes where it's just him and um, Denzel. Denzel. Denzel in the car. And Denzel is the same. Denzel makes everybody better. That is one of those things. Denzel makes oh, everyone yeah. better. So the two of them in a car together, holy shit. That's yeah, they just start making each other look better I mean, time was, and time it, again. It was literally just like, I'm going to be great. You're going to be great. We're going to be great together. And then maybe later somebody will suck our dicks. Oh, like, that's how that went, right? Hey, yeah. we went full gay, goddammit. Uh, <laughs> okay, so bringing it back yeah. to this specific TV show here, let's get official here mm-hmm. and why don't we start by David giving me your initial thoughts on episode one in a nutshell, 30 seconds. My initial thoughts was completely surprising. I went into this series with barely any expectations because I didn't know much about the project till you told me about it a couple yeah. of months ago. And this episode, just episode one, makes me want to go buy the book and actually read it. Mm-hmm. And right, because I don't think Mike. I'm not kidding. You didn't touch on that. that this is actually based on a book. Yeah, we'll yeah. get into that. Yeah, I'm not kidding. After I finished episode one, I got on the got on the computer, ordered ordered a ordered edition right away. Nice, because I needed to see this book in its entirety. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about you, Brian? Initial thoughts. So, initial thoughts on this. Um, you know, I went into it not 100 percent knowing what it was about. Uh, the title is ambiguous. Uh, the Good Lord Bird. I didn't watch any trailers. I didn't read anything about it. I didn't know it was based on a book. Um, I didn't look at IMDb. I literally did nothing. Mike said, watch it. I said, okay. And I just went in blind. And I saw that it was Ethan Hawke. And I was like, all right, dope. I'm going to like it. And then I saw that it was narrated by a child. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> and and then as it goes on and the story starts to develop and everything that kind of happens, happens in a very, I mean, it's, it's like Mike says, you know, the ADD generation, it's very quick that you get into it. Yeah. You know, there's violence almost immediately, which, right. hey, that's always a win. I mean, that opening 10 seconds during yeah. the shoe shine scene. <laughs> right. Jesus Christ. Exactly Man. what I'm talking about. And so, you know, in, in watching that, it was, I was very, very pleased with what I saw at the beginning. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, my initial thoughts just just right off the top of my head is that this is one of those things where you're going to go into it not 100% knowing what you're watching mm-hmm. and you're going to leave it not wanting, not knowing what you're watching. Yeah. Because it is different, but very in different. like the best way. Also, Bo Knapp, the guy that plays Owen Brown, I fucking love that guy. Yeah. Okay. That's, uh, that's initial thoughts, Mike. All right. So... I was anticipating this for a while because I follow Ethan Hawke's career pretty closely. Right, also, you're, for the pur- you're gay for Ethan, yes, absolutely. And for the purposes of Weird West Radio, I try to stay completely in the know when it comes to upcoming westerns. And of course, Ethan Hawke western immediately hit my ear, and I'm like, okay, well, let me pay attention to this. I wasn't familiar with the source material yes i know of john brown but the book is what i'm talking about the adaptation that was planned Mm -hmm. so i wasn't really quite sure what to expect and then when they dropped that initial trailer i was completely sold because there was a pulpy flair to the trailer with spaghetti western soundtracks and choir and i'm like okay what the fuck are you doing here to me right now (laughs) and people that listen to weird west radio know that i'm a huge spaghetti western nutcase so when they put those types of elements into the trailer, there suddenly was a a level of expectations that made me afraid. Because how dare you put all these cool vibes into a trailer just to give me something that doesn't resemble that trailer. And yet they do continue with that style. There is absolutely a pulpy flair to the editing choices, to the comedic uh, aspects, or I should say the, the, the moments of levity, it all works. So luckily my expectations were met so far. Now for the purposes of this discussion, we are going to be focusing our efforts on just the first episode. And perhaps if we have time on the schedule, we will return for a second discussion. Once all the episodes are released, it is a seven episode miniseries. Is it seven or six? I believe it's seven. Oh, okay. I thought it was. Maybe it's six. Oh, no, you're right. It is seven. You're right. It's seven. Okay. Sorry. 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 
Now, the development here, Ethan Hawke and Jason Blum adapted the novel The Good Lord Bird for a limited series that is on Showtime. The series was created and executive produced by Hawk and Mark Richard. In fact, the opening episode is written by Ethan Hawke. So now not only is this guy a great actor, but the guy can write his ass off as well, which I was unaware of because the scripting for this episode here was also pretty concise and tight. Now, the story of John Brown is an interesting one, and I'd say pretty timely. The story highlights a time in American history when things were on the cusp of change. The country's opposing ideologies were at a boiling point. Sounds kind of familiar. Very familiar. <laughs> uh, radical fringe militias. Uh, it's a very controversial period due to the nature of John Brown's strategy. That's the controversial aspect of this man's life. Many just straight up call him a terrorist. And objectively speaking, you could absolutely call him that. He and his abolitionist militia use Christian ideology to force and enact change. So that's why a lot of these particular stories are removed from children's history books. Do we want to teach about a man who did something good but was very bloody and violent, massacring people? So it's it's one of those controversial topics that we usually kind of skim over when we talk about the civil rights of black folk and the change of America when the Civil War would start and change things forever. I remember in school, you know, we touched on John Brown, but only his involvement in Harper's Ferry. That's it. Yeah. And you didn't it. hear anything about his crazed lunacy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, because I mean, let's be clear. There's that's exactly what it is. It is. He's a religious zealot. Um, he's he's nuts. And that's fine because the end in this case justifies the means, apparently. Um but yeah, no, I remember in school, the only thing you heard about John Brown was that he was one of the few white leaders of the early abolitionist movement. Yeah. And that he was endorsed by some pretty important um, African-Americans. Yes. I believe it was what Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass were Frederick friends Douglas, of his. Yes. Um, all of that stuff. And that's all stuff like that you very briefly touched on it. And I think it's a shame because, yes, we don't need to agree with his let's say strategy, but sure. some, and I don't want to get overly political, but I mean, I always say if you peaceful protest, come on, that's not, that wasn't going to stop slavery. I know. In a no, lot of ways no. you look back at history and you needed this, this type of man to actually push things forward. There has to be a catalyst. Yeah. yeah. Well, there and, was something that, well, I mean, that was what, that's what, that's what Charlie wanted to be. You guys know what I'm talking about, Mike. I, I was drinking water. I'm uh, sorry. Okay. You know, like Charlie Manson. That's what he wanted yeah, to be. The catalyst. He, want, he wanted to be the catalyst. He was the John Brown. Uh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't even, I can't say it. I'm sorry. But no, I mean, Charlie, Charlie wanted to be the catalyst for the race war. That was right. what he wanted. Now, not for the right reasons. It's for no. all the wrong reasons. Correct. But, that was, <laughs> but because I think that, I think it's one of those things where a catalyst is what's needed once it gets to a certain point, there's a boiling point and there's a breaking point, right? Yes. Right. And this, I think, starts off where they're at the boiling point where things are starting to bubble, shit's about to go down, but it hasn't broken open yet. Did you guys feel uncomfortable when watching this? Because uh, yeah. it feels so much like this happened, what, a hundred and what? Uh, Harper's Ferry was 180 18, years ago. Was that 1859 was Harper's Ferry? I mean, and, and yet so many things that, are, that happened then seem so similar to the things that are happening right this very moment. Well, I think it's one yeah. of those things, Mike, where history repeats itself. Yeah. And those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. And no one knows who the fuck John Brown is. So. And it's such a travesty. <laughs> that's our biggest problem with, I guess we are going to get on soapboxes tonight, but yes, that's our problem with our school system. I mean, how do you listen? There are ways to teach this type of thing in in or I should say to students without getting into the gory details, but learning about an individual that waged a bloody war. I think these things are needed so that we do understand how things happen. Well, here's my whole why thing. things happen. I think part of the problem too, with our current education system is that we, we whitewash everything. You, you make everything PC, you make PC, every yeah. everything clean, right? Everything's PG rated. Everything's either G or PG in our schools, right? Kids don't give a shit 
about GMPG. They're watching Fast and the Furious. They're watching, you know, the 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 Marvel oh, movies. They're watching, yeah, yeah Pornhub. Uh, <laughs> you know, they're they're. I mean, I'm just saying, like, kids see this shit. They see this the, the language on television. You know, right. on, on radio. I mean, fuck. My kid knows all the goddamn words to WAP. Like, <laughs> fuck Aww. me, right? Aww. Anyway. I'm just saying like kids know this shit. And so when you when you take out these colorful characters from history, history becomes fucking boring. And history, let's be honest, history is ugly and we need to know everything about it. Even when you're dealing with a a radical zealot like John Brown, if you're going to study history, actually study history. history. Don't look at it like Christopher Columbus was a great man who came to America and he led the white people here right no he he was a fucking psycho we don't need to agree with a person's ideology to learn from it right it's quite the opposite exactly like we have learned more about you know uh world leaders and the the craziness of them by studying stalin and hitler and how that shit worked it's a tried and true method of coming to power that's that's merely all i'm saying i'm not saying it's right i'm not saying it's wrong yeah. I'm just saying that it is a tried and true method. And if you study the history of rises to power by men, it nor it follows that trajectory. Look at Putin, look at uh, Kim Jong-il, any of those people. You look at them and it's either hereditary or it is a violent, manipulative way to come to power. And I think that in in in, in removing those colorful characters from history, you do a disservice to the other to the rest of to the, the other generations, to the following yeah. generations. Because we'll never learn. Say, let's exercise caution when trying to compare John Brown to say some of the most evilest tyrants. Oh and, yeah, no, 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 and, no, no. Yeah, no. I understand what you're saying, Mike. I, I was merely speaking in broad generalizations. Yeah. And you were using those as examples because those are the easiest examples. Well, I use them as examples because those are the ones that we learn about in school. Yeah, yeah. Right. You yeah. learn about the evil people in school, right? And you learn about the atrocities that they committed. As long as they were your enemy. Right. Right. We don't learn about the atrocities that we committed. And going right back to what you said, they also represented a catalyst. Correct. And that's exactly right. They're a catalyst for change. Change does not happen peacefully. It really doesn't. And since we're on the topic of civil rights, I mean, even Martin Luther King, everyone pretended to love and adore the man after death. Right. But it wasn't until after he was assassinated when suddenly everyone took what he said seriously. And I'm talking about white America. Right. So that's blood. That's violence. Right. And that takes us right back to a character like John Brown. Right. Now, if you guys are not familiar, just for a little bit of history review here so you can understand the context of this TV show. Bleeding Kansas was a thing. Uh, that's the the coined name. And it was a series of violent civil confrontations in the Kansas Territory, United States, between 1854 and 1861, which emerged from a political and ideological debate over the legality of slavery in the proposed state of Kansas. The conflict was characterized by years of electoral fraud, raids, assaults and murders carried out in Kansas and neighboring Missouri by pro-slavery border ruffians and anti-slavery free staters. It has been called a civil war of its own and a tragic prelude to the great American civil war, which immediately followed. Yeah. I mean, if so that kind of gives you the context for this TV series, right? Because this was right when, when Kansas and Missouri both were becoming states and they had sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Right. And and that was a whole thing where they they weren't deciding whether they were slave states or, or they, it wasn't predetermined. Yes. Right. Whether they would be a slave state or a free state. They said, OK, everybody that lives there, you get to choose. Well, here's the thing. A lot of people moved there and the <laughs> people that moved there, some were slave slavers and some were not. Some were abolitionists and some were not. And so what you did was you opened up this territory to all of these people to move into it who had, like Mike said, very different ideologies about, yeah. you know, the 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 worth of all life. Right. And so you had like the people like John Brown who were very, very literal in their translation of the Bible. Yes. And very much that the Bible is law. The Bible is word. Evangelical. Uh, very yeah, yeah. Quakerish, whatever you want to call it. Um, but they were very literal in that. And then you had the slavers that were like, yeah, black people don't matter. Uh, their their property. And I mean, that is what it is. That's what they call it. That's them, what they call it. Right? And I'm not I'm not saying that's right because obviously it's not. Um However, you did have this large group in the state that believed that and a large group that believed the other. Yeah. And all that does then is cause 
like Mike said, essentially a civil war in the state of Kansas that preempted the civil war in the United States as a whole. It's a powder keg. It's an absolute powder keg. Yeah. And I overall, I thought the political aspects of the first episode were handled well. Painting John Brown the way they did as a necessary evil was spot on. He was a zealot, yes, but also a revolutionist that did, in fact, bring about change. And they even start the episode off with saying some people liked him, some people hated him. Mm-hmm. Even some of the former slaves and even individuals to this day, black families have their strong opinions about John Brown. And it all has to do his tactics, you know, and sometimes our own human nature to cling to a form of moral high ground. We tend to shake our fingers at actions of violence and talk you know, peaceful protests. But in all actuality, we know that the ground beneath our feet and our freedoms were won with blood. Well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And that's that's why I love the realness to this. And they didn't try to refrain from. From just the blunt honesty of John Brown's character and what he represented. Well, he's he's uncompromising. Yes. And and I think that that's one of those things that. A lot of times you don't you don't see that anymore on television. You don't see an uncompromising character because they that makes them almost immediately unlikable. Yeah, but for um, some strange reason, John Brown is there's some. Oh, you think he's likable? I think he really is. Oh yeah, no, I think he's a fucking douche. <laughs> but but the, the but thing Ethan is, Hawke is amazing as him. Yeah. Um, well, I, no, it's it's the way that basically Onion portrays him. Well, I mean, I guess I I, I agree with David. You do you the, really? The, yeah. The, the way the Onion portrays him. As as an uncompromising, as an uncompromising douchebag. Yeah, I mean he is. He's a dick. The way that he sees it is the one uh, the the one attribute to John Brown that's very appealing is the fact that he stands by his own code. Right, whether it's right or wrong, whether it's right or wrong, believes it a hundred percent. And it it, it's very uh, uncompromising, which is really refreshing to see someone have that strong will. To his moral code. Now, the reason why that worked for me, Dave, is because, as you said, it's all being done through the lens of the boy, the boy, Onion. And because of that, it works for me because they're, it's almost like this not quite real story. It's for, from his very unique, specific perspective. Because he's an unreliable narrator. Right. Yes. right. And that's why it works. Even with the liberties that they're taking historically, it works because, thank you, that was the term I was looking for, Brian. Which, oh, unreliable narrator, yeah. It works. Um, and I feel like the most interesting thing, how they portrayed or portrayed this man's fight has to do a lot with Ethan Hawke's portrayal and how he played the role. It felt like there was a disconnect. As I think that's what you were kind of alluding to, Brian. Yeah. And not necessarily a lunacy, but an actual disconnect is how he played it. He didn't seem to acknowledge anyone's feelings and not because he didn't care. It just didn't register. He almost felt like a, like he was possibly on the spectrum. Like, Hey, I'm in my own bubble. He seldom made eye contact with anyone and he very rarely talked to anyone. He actually talked at them. He never actually had a conversation. Well, no, that's he's either talking under his breath, Mm -hmm. very low, right? Looking down at the ground Mm -hmm. or he's praying (laughs) or he's talking at them and he's usually looking above them. And I thought that was a kind of a very interesting take for Ethan Hawke as a performer to create this this disconnect but he doesn't quite fit with society yeah well you even see that when people correct him i mean when there's those dialogues between him and his boys and onion and he uh, and some of his boys correct him about like the the bible and sure and onion ends up taking his good luck charm and stuff like that even in those regards when he basically is being talked to it almost doesn't Register to him. He goes, yeah, yeah, that's probably what God would have wanted. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think I think it's one of those things, too, where where I think Mike's absolutely right. I think you hit the nail on the head with the way that he's portraying John Brown as if he is uh, 
I, I mean, you say he's on the spectrum. I say he's That's, a psychopath. Um, well, <laughs> psychopath can be on the spectrum. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I think it's just a different type of, of, of spectrum. But I think that he, he doesn't is, have per- interpersonal skills. None. Yeah. None. I, like, no, he is severely lacking interpersonal skills. I mean, yeah. Onion is a boy that wears a dress because he refuses <laughs> to acknowledge that, that Onion is not a girl. He's not yeah. listening. He's not no. listening. He's not. And that's, that, that is what I fucking love that they did with this character, <laughs> that he doesn't actually listen to anyone because the way they neatly framed this character, it was, it was like in such a, a specific way that it felt like he was justified because he's so absolute in his actions that he did not need to ever take solace or advice from anyone because, hey, I... It, this is how I am. This is what I say. I don't listen to anyone. I pretend I care what you're saying, but I am so devout in my thinking and I believe so strongly in what I believe that I don't really need to listen to anyone because no one's really going to sway me. And see, it kind of yeah. reminds me of like Dirty Harry a little bit. A bit. Right. I mean, it, honestly, like it's a it's a little bit Dirty Harry. It's a little bit, you know, um, the old John Wayne characters. Yeah. You know, the, the and, and I get well, it. You, I get you, it. I got it got a little personal to me because, okay, we all know he portrays a character on the network, but if you have grown as his younger brother, John Brown is very similar to how Tony acts. Oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) I'm watching this. I was watching this with Barb and Barb was like, Barb was like going, you know what? That moment right there, doesn't it remind you? Yeah, it reminds me of him. Yeah. I mean, that mm-hmm. is... <laughs> you know what? Sadly, that is, Weird true. West it's Radio true. listeners don't know who Tony is, but yes. Tony is a member on the network. On the network. Just to keep it simple. And David, I can actually see that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he like, doesn't really listen. Yeah. He talks over people. He it, talks at you. He it, never really makes eye contact. And yeah. he's angry a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> he's John Brown. And I could, I could absolutely see Tony just like... You'd be like, okay, Tony, say say Christmas prayer, and seven days oh, later, yeah. you still haven't eaten yet because Tony's on some rant. Well, you've been there when he's done I, it. I know, but I, I just mean, I, I don't, it's funny, Mike, sitting <laughs> here in this room with David and you, it's like, this is literally like the original, like, Team. the original crew, you know, it's just, it's so weird. It really is. It just feels weird. I love it, but it's weird. But yeah, no, I think that, um, yeah, I mean, John Brown is an interesting character. It's, it's interesting I, I don't know how close this is to reality. It's not very close, not very according close. to some of the historical babies, which we'll get into that part in a, in a, in a moment. <laughs> the historical babies. But I, I do say that overall, or the reason why he's likable, because that's kind of the topic we were on, because you right. didn't find him likable, Brian. No, I think he's a great character. I don't find him likable on a personal level. I think the reason why I find him likable is because he's so absolute yeah. he believes he truly believes and there's a charming aspect to someone who b- truly believes and practices what he preaches Th- the fact that his path to him is a righteous one but it also creates a very complicated character at the same time and that's what i love more than anything the fact that they chose to take this character and make him a uh, very d- dynamic. The fact that you have this guy who doesn't really matter if you disagree or agree with him because it doesn't matter. There's only one path. There is no room for any other choices. There's God's path and my path. I mean, look at his assumptions when it came to slaving, or I should say freeing the slaves. He blindly put them in harm's way because this is what you want, right? Of course you do. Let's go. Let's go. Right. Yeah. Right. And I feel the reason for this is so that they can tackle the white savior issue as well, which is definitely a thing in today's uh, social climate, which is a term that's been around for quite a long time. And it's also been assigned as a literary term within academic circles when dealing with stories where a white man saves the day. Uh, the term white savior, if you do not know what that means, sometimes combined with savior complex to write white savior complex refers to a white person who provides help to non-white people in a self-serving manner. They even started the episode off with that term. Right. Well, because, I mean, here's the thing. John, John Brown's not doing it for the slaves. No. He's doing it because that's his ideology. And his ideology is the only way. Yeah. And it's again, a, that's debatable. We don't know 100 percent. Yeah. I, I think that I think that uh, I think he's a very polarizing character uh, he is. in real life, not just in this show. Right. Um, I think that it's hard to get true history 
uh, from that time period. Um, and, and so because of that, I don't necessarily know exactly how he was, obviously. But I think that it's one of those things where, like, you know, there's certain characters through history that you go, okay, sure, like Davy Crockett Davey and, like, Crockett. all of those guys, you know. Yeah, all those. Uh, the guys at the figures. Alamo and all of that. Like, there's, you know, there's there's stuff written about them. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. I feel like with John Brown, you get a little bit of conjecture, a little bit. Like, he's he's a larger-than-life character. Larger-than-life, yeah. And I think that yeah. because of that, some of the history you get is closer to, like, the Wild Bill Hickok stuff. Where exactly. it's like, is it real or is it not real? I mean, there's, it's always founded in truth. Yeah. But what's the truth? We'll never know. And especially with a series like this, as you mentioned. the Exactly. Because anytime you have a child uh, who's gone through a trauma— that narration is going to be off. Yeah. You know, I mean, he he literally saw his father get killed, murked. His <laughs> yeah. dad got murked. He saw it and now has to pretend to be a girl. The fuck? <laughs> like, how the hell are you going to tell a real story? But have you had your bleed yet? Right? Like, <laughs> Jesus. Dude, the comedy as well right? was so yeah, on point. Yeah, the comedy was well, on the thing point. Is, like, but the comedy, it's not really comedy. It's, it's like Mike said, you said earlier, it was like moments of brevity. Um, but they play perfectly because they're exactly. not heavy handed. They're they're light, but not so light as to pull you out of the story. Like I was worried with the comedy that it would pull me out, like say like a Coen Brothers type of thing. Where, where, the, where it's like so ridiculous. Where it's so ridiculous yeah. that basically it pulls you out. It's quirky. Right. But here yeah. it was actually intelligently written. Well, it feels real. It like feels these are real. these are real questions that people would ask. Yeah. And because they're uncomfortable. And, and like you ask it, those questions when you're uncomfortable. Put it in the frame of the really crazy moment that's happening. Right. It's it, it's it's the one thing out of the whole series uh, of the this particular episode I was really impressed with because I mean you can fuck up comedy real you good. Can, yeah, exactly. You know? I mean, it's, it's not easy. Comedy people might think comedy is easy. No, but it's not. Well, the, prob- the problem too is everybody's a fucking critic, right? Yeah, and so and comedy is the most popular genre. Genre, and right? it's, it's even more difficult when you're doing a piece like this. You're Where dealing it's not funny, exactly. You're dealing with a time a time in history that's dark, brutal, bloody, and just depressing. Well, and it's also not known. Yeah. You know, like a lot of the stuff about even like the lead up to the Civil War and the Civil War itself. We don't know a ton about it. I mean, what do we have for the Civil War? The movie fucking Glory with Matthew Broderick? Eat a dick. Like, uh, you know, you've got you've got shit like that, which is fine. Don't get me wrong. I love Glory. I do. I love it as a movie. But as like a historical drama. Nah, I'm not buying it. You know? Um, Yeah. I don't know. I'm just saying that, like, I think that in recent years, we've gotten a lot more when it comes to the Civil War. Um, you know, what was it? What was the one, Mike, that we all went and saw Tarantino? Um, oh, Django Unchained. Yeah, Django yeah. Unchained, right? Like, yeah. that's super accurate. And uh, <laughs> it's not? <laughs> I thought that was, uh, but no, I I'm thought just, that was I, straight ripped from the history book. Right. I'm just saying that I think that, you know, up until 15, 20 years ago, a lot of the stuff we saw from the Civil War was very much written by the victors. Um, and it, things have changed over the last, I'd, I'd say, decade or that's more. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, yeah somewhere around 10, 20 years, it, it kind of, there was a shift, yeah. right? Like, yeah, we're not glorifying the South. No. Um, the South does that themselves plenty. We're just telling more real stories. Right, exactly. It's, it's we, much we, like our Yellowstone discussion. Right. We're much more interested in the middle ground truth than we are right and wrong. Yeah. I think, and I think that this... Leave it up to the viewer to to decide decide what's right and wrong. Right. Instead of, you know, and and I think that that's one of the nice things about the the new Western, right? Oh, for sure. You do get that kind of, okay, we're going to leave some stuff up to the viewer. Whereas with a lot of the other things that are out right now, we're going to spoon feed you what you you should think. Girl power and... um, you know, that that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think that, that the Westerns that have come out, especially recently, aside from, you know, Gallo Walkers that Mike made me watch a couple years ago. Uh, hey, that's a good Weird West. It's awful. Shut <laughs> your it fucking awful. mouth. And someone should burn the masters of that and every DVD and Blu-ray that's ever been made. And then anyone who's ever seen it and can remember it should literally lobotomize themselves. Um, 
Is that your um, official review? Uh, Gala Walkers? Fuck yes. yes. <laughs> um, but no, I'm just saying that I think that, uh, you know, the, the more recent Westerns uh, open themselves up to interpretation more than what you got with like the John Wayne Westerns or even oh, the Spaghetti yeah. Westerns. Oh, yeah, oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. you know, because the John Wayne Westerns were, I'm the good guy, you're the bad guy, bang, yeah. bang, you're dead. Yeah. You know, and then the Spaghetti Westerns were, we're all kind of the bad, bad guy. guy. Bang, 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 bang you're, you're dead. dead. For some reason, these are still being called revisionist Westerns. That's what you call these. Oh, but is that not new Westerns? No, these are called revisionist Westerns. I like new But Western eventually better. we're going to have to create a new name since this is just kind of the new norm. Like This is right. what we get now. We get more uh, grounded in reality type stories. Well, you get better stories that way. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, but anytime a story is grounded in reality, it's better. I mean, look at Harry Potter. That is so real. <laughs> that is uh, so, so real. You know, I mean, <laughs> All right, let's take a really quick break yeah. and then we're going to jump into the directing and the writing and then we're going to close out with our final thoughts. We'll be right back. Weird West Radio will be right back. Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff that will spice up your bedroom is even better. Just go to adamandeve.com and select almost any one item for 50% off, and then we'll load on the free stuff. Just enter this very exclusive code, RAINMAN, at checkout, and you'll get 10 tantalizing free gifts, including a sexy item for him, a special toy for her, and a third item you'll both enjoy. And six extra special bonus items that are sure to rev your engine, pique your curiosity, Mm. and even blow you away. Plus, free shipping. Always sent in discreet packaging. Go to adamandeve.com now. Get 50% off plus the 10 free gifts when you enter the exclusive offer code RAINMAN. Again, that's RAINMAN. Because without it, no free stuff. That's RAINMAN at adamandeve.com. All right, welcome back, everyone, to Weird West Radio on Rain Man Digital. If you're listening to us during Weird West Sunday on our 24-7 RM Channel 001 radio station, you can find all of our shows, past and present, on iTunes. Just search Weird West Radio, as well as Stitcher, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. All right, so let's jump into directing. This specific episode was directed by Albert Hughes. And I thought the man did a great job. I wasn't too familiar with him as a director, um, but I felt like he did a pretty good job with the episode. There is an interesting stylized vibe to the entire piece. The directing choices synced well with Peter Deming's cinematography, which, by the way, if you don't know who Peter Deming is as a cinematographer, the guy is amazing. We're talking about David Lynch's go-to camera guy. He's the guy that did all of the camera work for all seven episodes of The Good Lord Bird. This is the man that worked on Mulholland Drive. My Cousin Vinny. Dude, My Cousin Vinny is a great movie. Yeah. The Loaded Weapon 1, uh, he cannot claim that one. Please don't. Dude, Loaded Weapon 1 is great. (laughs) Please don't. What the hell are you talking about? That's a fucking amazing movie. It's so bad. This guy's had a very strange career as a cinematographer he's all over the map scream scream two scream three if these walls could talk muholland drive from hell is amazing yes uh the jacket uh, I how, heart- wait, hold on how are you just gonna skip over austin powers and gold member well i was gonna get there eventually <laughs> uh drag me to hell a lucky you and i am skipping quite a bit yeah twin peaks the recent uh rejuvenated TV series, whatever you want to call it, the rebooted TV series on Showtime. Mm-hmm. This guy is a talent. Hey, so he I, did one of my favorite horror movies, which is Cabin, Cabin in the Woods. Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, oh, Cabin he did. And that one's also stylized, isn't it? It yeah. is. Very much. Did you guys so, see yeah. Capone? Yeah. With uh, Tom Hardy? No, I have not. Oh, it's awful. Oh. Uh, I hated it. I understand what they were doing. I did yes. not like it. However. Yeah. It's directed by Josh Trank. We should have known that. The photography was amazing. Yes. And I will admit that all day. Dude, Peter Deming yeah. is fucking gold. I'm excited for New Mutants because he's attached. 
But yeah, I, mean, I saw that he did that, and I was actually so weird. That it made me want like, to see it. Right? You have a talent like him, and then you have a talent like Ethan Hawke, who have like this wide range. Sure. Like that's what's really impressive about this cat, or particularly uh, this cast and crew. Yeah. Their resumes, each and every one of them, down to the directing, is like very varied. Well, look at the writer that co-wrote with Ethan Hawke. He worked on Hell on Wheels, mm-hmm. Fear the Walking Dead, mm-hmm. Criminal Minds, which is formula TV, which but, thank you, because that means he knows television. Well, here's the thing that with Criminal Minds, though, it's formulaic television, but the writing's still good. Yeah. You know, like it's... It, there's a reason why... It's been on the, as long as it has. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so the guy true. that even assisted Ethan Hawke has great work under his belt. So there's no reason why the rest of these episodes aren't going to be just as good. I do have some high hopes now. I hate that. I hate when something is so good and not just from the Western side. And that's why ultimately this TV show worked so well for me so far. Episode one, because you have the acting, you have the cinematography, you have the directing and you have that stylized vibe that gives off a bit of a pulp flair at times. You even had that spaghetti Western intro. The credit sequence right? Yeah. is spaghetti Western. Like, no joke. I saw that and I was like, oh, I see why Mike wanted me to watch this. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, no lie, Mike. That was my first thought was, okay, now I get it. I get it. Yeah. But yeah. So Ethan Hawke did a great job with the writing. I thought they put together a very competent script, him and Mark Richard. It got the plot moving fairly quickly, fleshed out the characters that were important. We understood what we needed to within the first episode, the stakes, the players, the protagonist, the antagonist, the events that were set in motion and what I'd call the teaser, the inciting incident will have a lasting ramifications. I'm sure throughout the entire series that we're about to watch. I had hoped the events that were started in the first episode were not brought to an end by, by the end of the episode, Uh, There was some closure, which is needed with the series, but we are not having the huge events covered in a single episode type issues that I fucking hate and plagues so many mini series that delve into period pieces, even Hatfield and McCoy, which I did like for the most part with Bill Pullman. Yep. Not Bill Pullman, Bill Paxton Paxton and and Kevin Kevin Costner. Costner. I loved it overall, but you had the classic issues of miniseries where tons of time is covered in one episode. Right. Then seven years is covered in between that we didn't see. Then the next episode is maybe a week. Then we miss 20 years of story. Then we cover maybe three months and it feels uneven and inconsistent. The pacing is just the with stuff like the storyline pacing, pacing it does suffer. Suffer. When yeah. You do that. When you're especially with these miniseries because they have a lot of history that they have to tell in a certain amount of time. And a lot of these directors and writers are left trying to adapt material. It does come off very uneven. Whereas it doesn't look like we're gonna have that particular problem based on how this episode was laid out. Right. I feel like this episode consisted of a couple months of time. Um, and I, th- I think what is this five years or so is mm-hmm. what I think the storyline yes. is. And so if you got seven episodes and you're covering six to eight months per episode. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Because a lot of this, I mean, let's be clear. A lot of the, the time, you know, at least historically with these militias, they were sitting around doing nothing in the middle of a swamp. Yeah, they were, you know, like, they were look, flicking their dick. What was it? Free State of Jones is the one with um, Matthew yeah. McConaughey. Yeah. It's very similar, I think, in in feel yeah. to what's going on here. Right. The free the Free State of Jones was it was very uh, at least um, thematically. It's it's very similar minus the the religious zealotry. Um, no, I mean, that, that's, that's really the difference there. I mean, it was, it was about abolitionists. It was about slaves. It was about, you know, all of that stuff. And I think this is, uh, you know, at least thematically very, very similar and close. Yeah. And so with the free state of Jones, what you got was a lot of time passed where they did nothing, you know, they were in the middle of a swamp and that's fine. That's, that's how it works. I mean, what was the one with uh, Mel Gibson, Mike? Oh, uh, Patriot. Yeah, the Patriot. It was yeah. the same kind same thing. of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like you had like this militia where they sat around a lot and then stole dogs. Like that was. That yeah. was pretty much it. But I mean, because I mean, that was what the militias did. They didn't work. They didn't have real jobs. This isn't like now where all of our patriots here in America have jobs and then on the weekends get to play Soldier Boy. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it's a little bit different. So this, this, the writing didn't have those types of issues, those pitfalls. Correct. Yet. We'll see. Yes. Now, briefly on the controversial aspects that is being voiced by the history babies (laughs) and people that have done shows with me and listen to our shows know how I feel about history babies. I just don't care about you. (laughs) You are the blight of every period piece ever produced. Correct. If you want history, read a fucking book. Read a history history book. Right. Read a history book. If you want accurate history, and even then it may not be accurate, Mm -hmm. but if you expect history, read a history book. If you want entertainment, watch a movie or TV show. Mm -hmm. There's a difference. difference. Now, I'm not saying you can take huge liberties when you're trying to push the idea that this is a real story, but as long as you adapt and you bring the heart of the story to the table, if you're able to adapt a a real story or a true story and you convey the important elements, the politics, the players, what was at risk, what was at stake, and you successfully bring all those elements together and essentially you have the heart of the real story. That's all I care about. I don't yeah. care about, you know, John Brown not being a lunatic. There are already people pissed off with his betrayal. Oh, yeah. Saying that Ethan Hawke is an amazing actor, but, you know, I don't like that they're taking this man who was a great figure in history and they're just chalking him up as a lunatic. The guy was not a lunatic. He was a level headed uh, strategist. I'm like, listen, that's fine. That's fine that you think that, and maybe that is the case, but this is a TV show. TV show. And if Ethan Hawke were to portray a straight-edged individual, none of us would be watching. No, because it'd be fucking boring. Exactly. (laughs) All right, so let's move into our final thoughts. Uh, Brian, why don't you start? All right, so final thoughts here. Um, You know, we've touched on a lot. Oh, hold on. We got to jump into the saloon. We got to, oh, you know what? Onion, no, Onion is a boy and he's underage, so we don't want to do anything to him. That's off limits. Sorry, Brian. <laughs> Whoa, hold on, man. Well, is there any other women in the show? Uh, there no. was no women. Uh, there was no, There's no women. No. So let's just go to a random saloon that no one saw in this show and we'll make up our own saloon girls. Hello, ladies. All right, let's grab some drinks. <laughs> and, uh, okay, RMD score. All right, so <sighs> this one's this one's tough. Um, it's good. It's it's not great. It's um it's entertaining. It's interesting. Uh, the players are phenomenal. I think the the cinematography is okay. Um, oh come on! No, it's okay. Uh, come on, man. We saw Yellowstone. Like um, it's apples and oranges, man. Okay, and, and so I'm having a hard time there. Um, you watched them too close together. I, did. I watched them too close together. Yeah. I'll admit that. And so I have to say that like the cinematography is good. It's just different. Different. Um, yeah. It's it's not as epic, I guess, and it, it hmm. makes sense because this yeah. is this isn't as epic a story. Um, but either way, so cinematography is good. Um, Costuming's great. Uh, directions directions really really well done. Uh, dialogue yeah. makes sense. Pacing is on point. Um, Ethan Hawke is amazing. I think uh, what Joshua Caleb uh, Johnson, Johnson does a great job. Bo Knapp is great. Um, you know the 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 players are all there. Everything's there. Everything makes sense. Um, but there's just something about it where I want to know what happens next, but not to the point that I'm chomping at the bit to watch the next episode. I guess. Um, so I I give it like an 85. Like it's definitely worth a watch, but I don't necessarily think it's a must watch. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Like, I think it's definitely worth it. And you're not going to be upset watching it. You're not going to be mad that you spent, you know, whatever it is, an hour, hour and 20 minutes watching that first episode. And you're going to want to see episode two. But you're also not going to, like, just auto hit play. Right? Like right. You, you might walk away and go make a sandwich or have your girlfriend make you a sandwich. Whatever you or do. Jerk or jerk one out. Or jerk I don't know. There's no women in this episode, so it's kind of tough. Oh, it's a weird. sausage party. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a giant sausage party, which maybe that's what I didn't like about it, was that it made me feel too dude-like. Yeah, where are the ladies at? <laughs> yeah. well, that's I mean, my only comment. You know, it's going to lose 20 points just for that. <laughs> Jesus. It goes, from a, it goes from an 85 to a 60 because there's no <laughs> chicks. You imagine if you put that Rotten Tomatoes. Well, I really like this, but then uh, upon reflection. There's well, no chicks, there's so no it chicks. gets a five. Well, you wonder why John Brown was <laughs> insane, five. right? Because John, you know. John Brown was insane because he thought sex was only for procreation. <laughs> uh, I mean, listen, some, all someone's got to do is bring a chick around and maybe John Brown will calm the fuck down. Right? 
maybe that's all. Maybe maybe that's all it takes. Let's get John Brown's dick wet. And maybe abolitionists just go away. We could still have slavery if John Brown would have had fucking sex. Let's rewrite history. Jesus so according history. history according to Brian, right? History according to Brian. All you got to do is slavery was slavery would still exists. be around today if John Brown had some pussy. <laughs> Ooh, no. I think you need to write that book. I need to write that book? Right, I right. can hear the history babies crying now. Oh, yeah. yeah. How dare you, sir? Oh, come on, Mike. You're giving him way too much bass in that voice. <laughs> all right, David, go ahead. Um, Brian's made some really good points. Thank I agree you, David. with all your points. Of course you do, because I'm a genius. Because you're a genius. Yeah. But um, I actually really enjoyed this series. After episode one, I like the stylized, maybe because... It fits what type of style I like in a Western. And as I said, it really impressed me. I had zero expectations going into it. And yes, I'm a big Ethan Hawke fan, just like you guys. But I wasn't expecting this. And quite honestly, I mean, prior to prior to actually sitting down with you, you two and actually trying to come up with my final thoughts on the... On the whole thing, I was really debating if this, could this be one of the best things I have seen this year. Yeah, and it's up there. It is up there for top five of a lot of stuff that I've reviewed and watched that has very much intrigued me to the point that I would watch this. Like, I kind of I understand your point, Brian. Where it's kind of like to you, it's like you don't feel like you want to. Play, watch the next episode. It's oh, I didn't say a, I didn't want to watch it. Oh it's no, not, no, no! Like, not like it's, he's not chomping it, at the bit. He's right. not chomping at the bit, right? right? Mm-hmm. For me, I am chomping at the bit, and that—that's the weird part uh, because, it's like, because you, you like dudes, dude. <laughs> I liked all the penis. I liked all the penises. I like the violence, the decapitations. <laughs> I like that they chopped that dude up with a broadsword. <laughs> I like that they made that that uh, young man wear a dress. I like it when they make little boys make dresses. Uh, <laughs> Isn't that I found it strangely erotic when he asked him if he started bleeding yet? <laughs> when he asked him if he was bleeding, I touched myself in my oh, body. My, okay, all right. But a couple of the, uh, David, the, go ahead. The the things that put me put it over for me was honestly the comedic timing, mm-hmm. not the writing, but the timing. Yeah, the timing just absolutely took this series to a new level for me because you're dealing with a really dark subject. Yet you made this series cross-dressing is a pretty dark subject. <laughs> you made the series very manageable for me. Like I don't feel you know, like you brought up Glory. Yeah. After I watch Glory, I'm depressed. I'm absolutely depressed. Well, why wouldn't you be? That's the point. That's the point, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But here, I feel entertained. It goes to like what Mike says is like Dave says, slavery is fun. <laughs> slavery so entertaining. As weird as it sounds, yeah, it's hard for me to actually say, but like a show about slavery is actually fun. This isn't Holy a show shit. about slavery, man. But, That's not what it is. But, but yeah. I got you. But so my score for the series is a is a little higher than yours. I put it at a ninety-two. A ninety-two. Okay, yeah. so Mike's gonna be the tiebreaker as to whether or not this is kick ass. All right. It's interesting because <laughs> usually people don't change or sway my thoughts, but Brian had some valid arguments. Oh, shit. That did change the way I view this. Now, number one, Ethan Hawke can carry. If Ethan Hawke was cast in a film where he just sat and watched paint dry, it would probably be entertaining. <laughs> it would probably be entertaining. I actually agree with that. So that's number one. Yeah. The writing for me did work. I liked it. It was not uneven. The pacing was spot on. Mm-hmm. And the thing I the things I always look for in stories immediately is the inciting incident. Are you going to bring us in quickly? And they did. And the story proceeded. There were some minor issues. I felt like they could have slowed down in certain areas, but overall it worked. I'm going to give this an RMD score of 91%. All right. So then, let's see, Dave, you gave it a 92? 92. All right. Hold on. I'm going to need a calculator for this one. What? 
I think I might have drugged this all the way down into the not kick ass category. <laughs> what an asshole. Right? I know. Seriously. But actually, wait a minute. Before Hold Brian. On. It is at an 89.3 repeating. 89 That's still and a great. third, which is still great. That's still, still great. Really but good. it is not kick ass. Now, I will say that before Brian's thoughts, I probably would have given it a 95%. Which would have pushed it over the edge. Yeah. But Brian, you brought up some valid points. Absolutely. Yeah. And David has some valid points too. And I think the reason why you and I liked it a lot more possibly, Dave, is because it speaks to us as a filmmaker. It speaks to us uh, as, as a film geeks. Like we fucking live for this shit. The stylized editing, uh, sure. the, the, the clever dialogue exchange felt a little Tarantino-esque at times. Yeah. It, that's probably why. So, all right. Well, this does bring us to the end of our discussion. Perhaps we will be back with a part two once the series wraps and we'll just see how it all played out. Maybe Brian's score will change. Maybe mine will as well. David, perhaps we'll see. I want to thank everyone for listening. Thank you, Brian, David. Thank you. Or said he be taken from such prison to a suitable and convenient place of execution within said county and there be hanged by the neck till he be dead, dead, dead. Now, do you have anything to say, young man? Yes, Your Honor, I do. <clears throat> you can go to hell, hell, hell. <laughs> <laughs>